So this morning I am ministering a message called Guerrilla Warfare Prayer. I don't know if you've heard, but we've declared that this is the summer of prayer. And I'm pretty excited about a summer of prayer. I hope that you're excited about a summer of prayer. Because I believe that we are in an hour right now that America needs prayer like never before. I believe that the church needs prayer like never before. And I believe that the family unit needs prayer like never before. And the word of God says that my house shall be a house of prayer. I think mercy culture is known for a lot of, a lot of different things, for the justice things that come out, the mercy that comes out of uh, this house, the action that comes out of this house, uh, the power of God that's in this place because it's built around him and not a man. And there's a lot of things that we are known for that are beautiful things. But the point of declaring this summer as a summer of prayer is not just making sure that this building or this house is a house of prayer, but you are the church. And for this to be a house of prayer, it means you have to be a people of prayer. And America is not turning back to God. The next generation is not turning to God without a people of prayer. In fact, we see it over and over in the word of God. Men that turned to prayer and great exploits took place, not because they were so great, but because their prayer life was so great. And I believe that the next generation, this nation, the nations needs prayer like never before. And so I pray that this morning as I minister this message, that there would be a hunger and thirst for a prayer life that cannot be quenched. I pray that tomorrow morning when you wake up and pray and at noon and in the evening when you pray, your spirit is not quenched for the next morning when you wake up, you have to utter prayers from your lips, psalms of David's petitions to heaven because your soul cannot be quenched until you see the fruit of the prayers taking place in your family, in your marriage, in your teenagers, in schools across Texas, in our nation. So let us start, you can text the word notes to the number that's on the screen to 59090 so you can pay attention in scripture. The word of God is alive. I believe we encounter him as we look and read the word. So Luke 10, one through three, this is when Jesus sends the 72 out. And it says this in verse one, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to visit. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I declare this would not be the case at Mercy Culture Church. He says this, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest. And then verse three says this, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I came to tell you this morning, Mercy Culture Church, that the place of prayer is the place of strategy for guerrilla warfare. I know we already prayed this morning, but let us pray again. 
So Father, I pray that this would not just be a revelation or sermon that is preached this morning. I pray that you would impregnate your people with guerrilla warfare prayer. This morning, I pray that this house, that the people sitting in, in these chairs this morning, that they would be stirred with the spirit of a warrior. I pray that they would be stirred with the spirit of a prayer warrior. I pray that the revelation of guerrilla warfare prayer would not be my revelation, but I declare it would be the bride's revelation. I, I pray it would be your son's and daughter's revelation. And I pray that you would impregnate them in such a way that it could not be quenched. Lord, I pray that you would take us into a place of daily consistent prayer that petitions heaven. Oh, like your word says, pleases you. I pray let Mercy Culture Church be known as a house and people of prayer that our culture fears. Do it, Lord. Ignite us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So many people believe that it's large numbers that speak or carry the greatest weight. Uh, that the popularity contest or big groups, the more people you have, the more power you have. I believe that this is why so many sometimes outside of our community at Mercy Culture are more obsessed with the numbers of how many are coming inside than actually us inside care to know how many people are coming because people are intimidated by large groups or large numbers. But you wanna know what's interesting is the Bible shows us differently. That it was not numbers that carried power. It was something greater. And even though people historically have feared large numbers or groups or the influence of it, biblically there was something that, that brought greater power and authority. Church, it's the power of prayer. Before I get into the message, I want to share this. That last year we had uh, individuals, neighborhoods, and newspapers, and people on social media attacking us, Landon and I personally, and Mercy Culture Church, and it's still happening, it's just, not affecting the same, praise the Lord, because I know that there are spiritual warriors in this house that cover their pastors and cover this house. Uh, but as they begin to slur these threats and these insults, we thought, you know what? Why don't we just host a meeting for them here? Let's serve them, let's get some hors d'oeuvres. Uh, uh, let's, let's share our heart, let's share the vision of the justice residences since that's what they decided to specifically attack which was silly, uh, helping women being restored out of human trafficking. You wouldn't think would be something somebody would fight but applaud. But nevertheless, we thought, let's serve them at this meeting. So we answer all the questions, we greet, we love, we have the hors d'oeuvres and we do the whole thing. In church, they weren't appeased. And I remember walking, in fact, at the very end of the meeting, they had to bring me out because a few began to shout at me. And a few began to point their finger and slander and say hateful comments, and so I had to walk out. 
And I'm walking back to my office and this righteous anger begins to stir in me. That these small groups were coming in with threats and with lies to wear us down. Some people within our community had the temptation, man, maybe if we just go and we just meet with every single person in that neighborhood and we just have a conversation and then maybe if our tone changes a little bit this way and then maybe if we could find a compromise here and I'm telling you this righteous anger that I knew that wasn't from me began to stir. Then all of a sudden I have some pastors uh, bring some prophetic words forward from this house and they begin to say what I felt in my spirit. And they said, I feel like we're supposed to go into a 40 day prayer and fasting. Instantly, I knew it was a Nehemiah prayer and fasting. They're fighting the work of God. They fought it in Nehemiah's day. And instead of submitting to the enemy's guerrilla warfare, it says that Nehemiah stayed on the wall, obeyed the Lord, and they began to pray and fast. So we began to get quiet about the work, stay diligent behind closed doors, and then we began to get loud about prayer and fasting, loud in our prayer closet, loud on social media. And I'll never forget my favorite mockery and threat moment was I literally saw a text thread from the neighborhood that said, do they really think they're going to accomplish this through prayer? I laughed and I said, it's exactly how we're going to accomplish it. We're going to accomplish it through prayer and fasting and watch you mock, watch God bring a showdown, watch him bring strategy, watch him bring favor that builds this ark to restore women. Do you not want to know what God did exactly during that prayer and fast? He began to download strategy. He began to download and send relationships and favor our way that never would have happened through exhausting ourselves through multiple conversations. Let me teach you what guerrilla warfare is. Guerrilla warfare is a form of irregular warfare in which small groups of combatants, such as paramilitary personnel, Armed civilians or irregulars use military tactics, including ambushes, sabotage, raids, petty warfare, hit and run tactics, and mobility to fight a larger and less mobile traditional military. Guerrilla warfare has been used by various factions throughout history and is particularly associated with revolutionary movements and popular resistance against invading or occupying armies. Guerrilla tactics focus on avoiding head-on confrontation with the enemy armies, typically due to inferior arms or forces, and instead engage in limited skirmishes, and the goal of is to exhaust their adversaries and force them to withdraw. Organized guerrilla groups often depend on the support of either the local population or foreign backers who are passionate with the guerrilla group's efforts. So strategy is a huge part of guerrilla warfare. 
Guerrilla warfare is a type of asymmetric warfare, meaning competition between opponents of unequal strength. It is also a type of irregular warfare that it aims not simply to defeat an invading enemy, but to win popular support and political influence to the enemy's cost. Accordingly, guerrilla strategy aims to magnify the impact of a small mobile force on a larger, more cumbersome, cumbersome one. If successful, guerrillas weaken their enemy by attrition, eventually forcing them to withdraw. So what is attrition warfare? It's a military strategy consisting of belligerent, that word belligerent doesn't mean the belligerent crazy, belligerent attempts, this word belligerent means it's an individual group or country or other entity that acts in a hostile manner, such as engaging in combat. And the term comes from a Latin word meaning to wage war. It means to win a war by wearing down the enemy to the point of collapse through continuous losses in personnel and material. This is why through when the enemy uses this form of warfare, he will come after individuals in the church. It will come in slow to pick one out, a couple out, offense, lies, and it will come in to wear down on unity in the body of Christ. So it means to win a war by wearing down the enemy to a point of collapse through continual losses in personnel and material. The word attrition comes from the Latin root meaning to rub against or to grind down of the opponent's forces in attrition warfare. An ancient warrior once called it this, the exhaustion of the adversary. But here's the beautiful thing, is I believe that this was God's idea first. And whatever the creator creates, the enemy tries to emulate. Because he's not creative, because he's not the creator. He can only copy and try to do it in an evil form. So let me read you what a Christian commenter wrote for Christians operating in guerrilla warfare. He said this, they are irregular soldiers. They come in an infinite variety of shapes, sizes, colors, ages, genders, races, classes, theologies, and denominations. They are decidedly Christian in a self-identity. Clearly, it represents a unified front in terms of purpose, not an organization. Shares this scripture. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him for whosoever is not against you is for you. See, the wise soldier recognizes that the unspoken unity of purpose, even if other parties choose to work independently, the guerrilla forces are strengthened by the diversity. Can anybody say amen? They're strengthened by diversity. They are not dependent on the strengths of one human general. Rather, they look to prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit who supplies the needed gifts and favor to accomplish the task. Woo! Guerrilla warfare is strategic and used throughout the word of God where large numbers were not the cause of power. 
prayer and wisdom from God were where the power came from. We see it all throughout the word of God, including in David's mighty men. 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 23 talks about David's mighty men. And he also refers to them as the 30 or the three, <clears throat> which is interesting because they were small groups. Even though David had a war of 400, which still is not a lot compared to the thousands that would come. There was a, a group of 30 and a group of three. And go with me to 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 23. It says this, David's mighty men. Joshua was chief of the three and he wielded his spear against 800 men whom he killed at one time. Just one of David's mighty men took out 800 in a moment. Verse nine, next in command was Eleazar. As one of the three mighty men, he went with David to taunt the Philistines who had gathered for battle. The men of Israel retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck the Philistines until his hand grew weary and stuck to his sword. The Bible says the Lord brought about a great victory that day. I love as we read through David's mighty men and these extreme moments that they took on in these battles, it says, and the Lord brought forth a great victory that day. This is why God will work through small numbers, through weak individuals, through individuals that think that they have a past and can't be used by God, through, through marriages that has gone through some stuff, but he wants to anoint it to save other marriages because God gets the glory when it doesn't make sense when it's written that a man took on 800 men. Verse 11 says, and after him was Shammah, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of a field and he defended it by himself and struck down the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Verse 18, Abishai was chief of the three and he lifted his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name along with the three. And then there's Benaniah who was a man of valor, a man of many exploits. He struck down two champions of Moab and on a snowy day, he went down into a pit and killed a lion. He also killed an Egyptian, a huge man. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club, snatched the spear from his hand and killed the Egyptian with his own spear. Why am I reading all of this to you, church right now? I pray that faith and courage would arise in you in this hour. Do you think that God just anointed these men for a one-time moment and a one-time battle? If you are awake, you see that we are at war in our nation right now. And if we are at war over the next generation and over our families and over pretty much everything right now, do you think that maybe he is looking to anoint some warriors? 
Do you think that just by chance he might be looking for some men that says, some women, just because my hand may grow weary, my faith will not grow weary. And there will be great exploits in 2023, in 2024, in 2025 that brings glory to our King. I wouldn't say that America is any more a nation that has its heart turns turned towards Jesus. It once was. But I believe that there is a setup for a great battle that is coming for America. And I believe God is jealous to show off through some sons and daughters, through some spiritual warriors. See, David was known as a warrior. We all know him as a warrior. We know him as a worshiper because of Psalms, but it's interesting that so many of us think of Psalms as just songs. If you've ever read Psalms before, you know that they're not just any song. And we sing powerful songs that are from God on Sunday mornings, but even if you read these Psalms, they're not like what we sing on a Sunday morning. You wanna know why? Because they sound more like a prayer and intercession than they do a song. Many of the Psalms that David wrote, even if there was instruments that were there, they were really his pleas, his petitions, or his prayer before God. What am I saying? I am saying David was a great warrior, but the only reason he was a great warrior is because he was a great prayer warrior. Psalm 65 through 12 is, is titled this, Victory with God. He begins to petition heaven saying, respond and save us with your right hand that your beloved may be delivered. He is praying about a battle that is ahead. And then he begins to declare what God has spoken in verse six. God has spoken from his sanctuary. I will triumph. Ha. See, so many of you are trying to face battles without a prayer life previous of coming up to that battle line. And you're going up to that battle line with a faith that is shaky, hoping everything is gonna work out. Can I tell you, if you walk up to the battle line, no matter what you're facing, with a prayer life behind you, It's why David could stand before a giant and it's why he could stand before armies. It's why he could stand before Saul. It's why he could stand on any day, toe to toe, not because David was so great, it's because his prayer life was so great. See, this is the place in his daily encounters with the Lord, when he heard from Yahweh, I will triumph, he said. As he hears in his prayer, he begins to declare all the different lands he's going to triumph and take victory over. And then he says this in verse 11, give us aid against the enemy for the help of man is worthless. With God, we will perform with valor and he will trample our enemies Psalm 72 is another great example. They believe that this was one of his last psalms that he wrote. Even though it's Psalm 72, they believe that this was the final psalm or the final prayer that he wrote. And I love it because he's praying for justice and righteousness. 
The last prayer that David writes, he's praying for justice and righteousness. And it ends like this in verse 19 and 20. And blessed, he said, be his glorious name forever. May all the earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And verse 20 says, thus conclude the prayers of David, the son of Jesse. I'm telling you this morning, just like this wild warrior, David, this church to be warriors has to have a wild prayer life. You have to be consistent daily in your prayer life because the greatest war strategy, no matter what you're facing, is gonna come through prayer. And many of us are trying to take on things, take on strongholds, take on attacks with grit, with our own strength that we call faith without prayer behind us and in front of us. The greatest war strategy, church, is prayer. So strategic guerrilla warfare, here's some practical advice for you this morning. Is you must be ready for the enemy's lies and attacks. You're not just planning on how you're going in. You're planning on how you're going in while understanding the enemy's tactics. This is strategy. I don't know if you ever remember those old war movies, and I always thought they were so silly, even as a kid, that they would just all line up in a row after row, and they would just march with their thing and just like go down and die. And there was like zero strategy. You're like, I was so glad that I was not a part of that war strategy right there and like in the front row, you know, or the second row. And then somebody woke up and is like, you know what, I think there's something to this strategy thing. I think if we can find the enemy's tactics, we can make it around those tactics and we can take victory when we're aware of what the enemy is doing. Here's a modern day example of this. Is I, I believe that there are many uh, with the right heart but foolish Christians that are trying to go into evil realms like politics or Hollywood. And they say, because I got a prophetic word, I'm going in. He prophesied it, so I'm going to be good, and I'm going to go sing my songs, and he's just going to be with me to defend me. And they go in with their passion and their prophetic word like they're ready. No strategy. Strategy would be what? What rules Hollywood? What demons, what strongholds rule Hollywood? Because if I'm going in, I want to know what I'm up against. If I'm going into politics, I want to know what strongholds, what temptations are they bringing my way? See, many don't face the idols or the desires of materialism before they enter the land of idols and materialism in Hollywood. And so the moment they're, they're offered the fancy car or the house with girls or whatever, they're already making a trade for what their conviction once said they would never do because they didn't face that stuff in them first in a prayer life. See, you can't bow 
And you can't surrender to another idol or to another God or to a materialistic item or to a temptation if your face is already bowed to him. We choose one. And this is what a prayer life is about, that we humble ourselves and bow to the King of Kings so that nothing else has place for our attention or our worship. See, without a real and consistent prayer life, whatever good you think you're doing right now will not be sustained. Did you hear what I said, church? Whatever good you think you are doing right now will not be sustained without a true and consistent prayer life. I remember, um, I know my brother wouldn't mind me sharing this story, but he was years and years ago, he went to CFNI and my brother uh, came out of a wild uh, background of dealing drugs, doing them and every type of sin there was. He's in CFNI, he's just radically on fire for the Lord and they would call me once or twice a week because he began to lead these groups out all over Dallas and they would just begin to evangelize. They were doing hundreds of people or foot washing in downtown Dallas. The Holy Spirit would lead them them into random apartments and people would be healed and so they would call me and I remember just sitting on the phone with tears coming down my face so excited for what God had done in his life and then I remember after about the fifth or sixth call I had this discernment moment this prophetic thing that I warned him of and I said look I'm proud of what you guys are doing, but I don't feel like you have the substantial prayer that you need, nor the prayer covering. And I said, you can't go into darkness and be pulling all these things out and not know that there's not gonna be warfare coming after you. You need the next level of prayer covering. I know he wouldn't mind me saying this because he's made new today and living an awesome life for Jesus, but it wasn't just probably six months after that he had fallen into temptation that led back into drug addiction that took him out for two years. I'm telling you, church, prayer is what will sustain you. Prayer is what is going to bring authority and power into your marriage, your family, your life, your business, whatever those dreams are, whatever those prophetic words are, whatever those things that you have been contending for, it is a consistent prayer life because it is communion with God, it is conversation with him, and this is why the enemy knows this war strategy himself, and if he knows your weaknesses better than you know his tactics, if he knows how to cut off your prayer life because he's the source, then he has you. And this is why the church has to wake up in this hour and pray like never before and operate in this guerrilla warfare prayer that we have to be aware of his tactics and his strategy huh, so that we're not wiped out. So that Christians are not wiped out. So here's three lies or tactics of the enemy to frustrate your prayer life. There's many more. So the Lord may speak to you as I'm exposing these ones of what uh, he uses against you to frustrate your prayer life, but here's a few. First, the enemy will tell you your prayers are powerless and not heard. That the culture has more influence. That the culture has more power than what you can pray. 
It might sound like this. This is a losing battle. You know what I'd love to say to the enemy to that? And what I would love to say to this church? Then why did Daniel put his life on the line to pray three times a day unless that was the key to saving him and his nation? Daniel put his life on the line. He knew on the other side of that law that was written that made it illegal to pray because his prayers were so powerful, by the way, that's why they wrote the law, which is awesome. They wrote a law because Daniel's prayers were so powerful and the law only lasted 30 days. Can you imagine most Christians? They'd be like, oh, it's okay. We can pray in our basement for 30 days. We'll make sure to honor our neighbors. We'll make sure to honor the government. You catching what I'm saying right now? It's just slowly, you like just felt that jab. Correction. Daniel wasn't about that life. He wasn't about to give them comfort in their evil ways, even if it was for 30 days. See, they wrote a law because they feared Daniel's one man and his three buddies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They feared their prayers so much. There was so much agony. Can I, can I, can I just tell you about, about the cultural moment that is taking place? They were exiles. They were renamed Babylonian names. Because a Babylonian empire comes in, takes over. There are only a few left. In fact, the Bible says that they tried to get rid of their God, Yahweh, but they took everything from their church. They brought it in. They hid it. They brought all of their idols and all of their gods out. And you have four men that could care less that they're the only four. You have Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that are refusing to bow, that are going to go into a fiery furnace. You have Daniel that is refusing to bow to a law for 30 days to stop praying. And the Bible says that he goes up and he swings open those windows the moment that he knows that this law has been written. And he places himself in the window, the Bible says, that pointed towards Jerusalem, right where the king's palace was. And the Bible says that Daniel began to pray as he always had prayed before. See, his previous prayer life, his consistent prayer life had prepared him for this moment in culture that allowed him not to bow to evil culture, although he was outnumbered. Daniel 6.10 literally says this, now when Daniel learned that the document had been signed. This wasn't Daniel's first day of three times a day prayer. Your prayer prepares you for the battles tomorrow, church. Your prayers today prepares you for the battles ahead. Daniel had preparing himself for this moment not to be swayed by the world's ways for decades. But you wanna know what? I don't even think being swayed was on Daniel's mind. 
I don't even think the fear or intimidation at this point, I don't even think it crossed his mind. You want to know what I think was on Daniel's mind? Victory. A man that had kept himself from the king's food, the king's wine, fasting, When he's working a secular job with a bunch of palm readers and magicians and evil men that are his co-workers, but he's fasting and praying and hearing from God and bringing dream interpretations. See, Daniel's prayer life didn't just save him. Daniel's prayer life brought revival and reformation to an evil land with idols all around him. Oh, can you imagine a few thousand Mercy Culture members that begin to get a prayer life like this? Ha, that's not moved by the pleasures of life or what the world says or what social media is, but morning, noon, and night, kneeling before the Lord, praying for our nation, praying for the church to arise, and praying for the family unit. Can you imagine the impact? If you begin to have a prayer life like Daniel, it would shift our nation, church. It may shift more than our nation. It may shift the nations. He showed us what guerrilla warfare prayer was. Here's the second lie or tactic of the enemy to frustrate your prayer life. Is see, the enemy will tell you that God doesn't hear just anyone's prayers. That he listens only to his spiritual leader's prayers. You'll hear, I'm not a pastor. I'm just a mom. I'm just a businessman, a construction worker, a teacher, or maybe you hear I've only been saved for a few years, or maybe here, but I fell into te temptation again last week, or I'm really young, or I'm really old. God has moved on for, I don't know what the lie is that has been telling you that God doesn't answer your prayers and he only answers mine or Landon's or the pastors of this house. You wanna know what's funny is this happens all the time. In fact, I had a spiritual son this last week. He might've been partially joking, but I hear it all the time. And he said, but Pastor Heather, God answers your prayers. So will you pray this prayer? As I'm studying for this message, this is a lie or a lot of us don't even really believe that we have believed it because it's so subtle. It's so subtle how he whispers to you during the week when you're praying for your family member. And he says, yeah but you've been praying that for years and he hasn't answered. He's not listening to your prayers. You better get to that altar on Sunday and make sure you pray with somebody else that God's gonna listen to. You better make sure you send in those prayer requests so that God listens to them praying because your prayers aren't powerful. Let me take you to the word of God. Acts 4, 23 through 31. It's titles this. The believer's prayer. Not the disciples' prayer, not the apostles' prayer, not the pastor's prayer, the believer's prayer. And this is right after Peter and John just get done uh, testifying to the believers. And then they go into, they just take over and they're like, you know what? We're just going to start a prayer meeting right here, right now. They didn't wait for Peter and John to start a prayer moment or a prayer service. 
they just start radically, boldly praying. And in verse 29, it says this in the middle of their prayer. And now, Lord, consider their threats. You enable your servants to speak your word with complete boldness. And as you stretch out your hand, like what Pastor Kaylee was prophesying over earlier, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What are they saying? They're saying, listen to my enemies. Take them out, defend me, and then anoint me with boldness to go out and perform signs, miracles, and wonders to bring glory for your name. This is as the apostles are receiving all types of threats, threats America hasn't seen yet, but the believers respond in prayer. And the Bible says in verse 31, after they had prayed, their meeting place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Look, church, it doesn't say what the spirit of religion says and says, hey, and then they went to four years of Bible college before they went and preached. They went to theological school and them, all the different things, seminary, and they got their degrees and then they were sent out to preach and evangelize. No, it said that they prayed God answered, and then he filled them with his spirit. I don't know, are there any people sitting here today, this morning, that are filled with the spirit of God, that is filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if you're filled with the spirit of God this morning, it means that you are filled with the same boldness that is in him. I could go off on that part. You talk about the boldness of God. The sound of his thunder. Anybody heard some thunder the last couple weeks? That's coming from the heavens. Come on, that's what I believe. We are to operate in the boldness of God that he paid for. Can I just encourage you this morning also that God loves hearing the prayers of his sons and daughters. It blesses him to hear from you. I was talking to my son the other day, Preston, about his daily encounters uh, in the summertime, just asking him how they're going and asking him about his prayer life. Prayer is like his favorite way uh, to lead in the family spiritually and to daily encounter. So we're talking about his prayer life and I'm asking him, what is he talking to God about? And he's like, mom, I talk to him all day. And I said, you do, bud. And he's like, yeah, when I wake up in the morning, I'm talking to him and then I'll just tell him if I'm sorry about something or to give me strength about something. And then when I'm going to bed at night, I'm thanking him for the things that he did and telling him how much I love him and that he would just be uh, with me in my room and that he would bring peace in my room. An eight-year-old talking to his king daily. This is a prayer life. And the third liar tactic of the enemy to frustrate your prayer life is this, that you've been praying the same prayer for days, months, years. You're boring God. Don't you have anything else to pray? Can I tell you that I have personally heard this lie? As somebody that prayed for Roe v. Wade to be overturned and some of these different injustices, there are daily prayers that I will go and I am repeating myself over and over. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard this lie from the enemy saying, really, you're praying that prayer again? 
don't you have anything else better? Don't you have any other creative words to say? Because clearly he hasn't answered yet. So maybe you're praying the wrong scripture. Maybe you're boring him with the same thing over and over. Let's go to Luke 18, one through eight. I'm gonna remind you last year I ministered a word called prayer is what expands territory. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And I ministered out of this portion of scripture. It is the parable of the persistent widow. It says, then Jesus told them about, uh, told them a parable about their need to pray at all times and not to lose heart. Jesus said this, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that town who kept appealing to him. And she was appealing by saying, God, give justice to me against my adversary. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. Now listen to this. Then she will stop wearing me out with her perpetual request. You want to know what that word perpetual means? Never ending or never changing. The next verse says this real quick. The Lord said, listen to the words of the unjust judge. Jesus pointed out. Listen to his words. What were his words? That he was wore out from her perpetual or what? Her never ending and never changing request. And then Jesus says this to them. If the unrighteous judge will answer her, how much more am I going to answer my elect or my sons and daughters and do it speedily or do it quickly? Do you know it blesses the Lord that you continually bring your petitions that are never ending and never changing? Declaring the same words every day, saying, I will not be moved from this place, believing that my God is a just God and a righteous God and answers the prayers of the righteous, answers the prayers of his sons and daughters. And then are we not reminded by Jesus, the son of God, the perfect one who came and he's praying over a blind man. And as he prays over the blind man, he says, can you see now? And he says, it looks like trees walking around. And then what does Jesus do? He prays again the same prayer. If Jesus can pray multiple times the same prayer to get a result, church, you can too. Stop listening to the enemy's lies to break down your prayer life because he knows he's your source for the power and the authority that God is going to answer in and through you. See, Daniel was that man, consistent daily prayer. The Bible says that he prayed morning, noon, and night. And that brought the revival and reformation to an evil nation. Let's see, what do I mean by that? In Daniel chapter six, is when David is thrown into the lion's den. They see that he breaks the law, they throw him in, and then in verse 23, after the king, this is wild, okay? 
Darius at this time, King Darius, this is a different king of another nation, a Mede king, and not mean Mede, of the Medes, king of the Medes. And he is there, and he is ruling over the land, and still Daniel is promoted. I believe Daniel was promoted because he was so set apart because of his intimate relationship with the Lord. Nobody could deny the faith of this man. So the Bible says that King Darius on this night, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, literally stayed up and fasted and prayed all night for him. (laughs) Can you imagine again, the influence of your prayer life causing an evil man or an evil ruler to begin to fast and pray on your behalf? So this is that moment. And it says the next morning that the king was overjoyed when he heard that Daniel was still alive. And it says that he gave the orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wounds whatsoever were found on him because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24. And at the command of the king, the men who had falsely accused Daniel, says justice, retributive, but it's justice, were brought and thrown into the den of lions and they and their children and wives. And before they had reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Listen to this though. This is what I mean by Daniel's prayers and Daniel's intimacy with the Lord brought revival and reformation to the land. It's titled this, King Darius Honors God. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to the people of every nation and language throughout the entire land. May your prosperity abound. I hereby decree that in every part of my kingdom, men are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He delivers and he rescues. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the the lions. So this is an evil king that is declaring to all the lands around him. There is only one God and it's the God of Daniel. You should give your word. You should give your attention. You should give it all to the King of Kings. Can you imagine mercy culture if your prayer life began to shift America like Daniel's? I believe it will. I believe this morning, if you catch a hold of this word and you begin to operate in this, we are going to see a shift in America and into the nations like we have never seen before. Ah, can you imagine if we had men and women of valor and courage of boldness in this hour that nothing got in the way of their life bringing glory to God? Ah, not even a lion's den. Not even a fiery furnace. Are you there yet? It's okay if you're not. But I tell you, an intimate prayer life will get you there. Because he'll begin to confront things in you. He'll begin to make you tender. He'll begin to make you apologize first and repent for those hidden things. And he'll get you to a place that you love him so much at the same time you desire to die more to yourself. And do you know that the moment that you begin to die more and more to yourself, the Bible says that's the moment that his strength and his power begins to work and operate through you. 
Can you imagine a courageous people arising? The most important thing to them in their life is their daily encounters in their prayer life. That they would miss it for nothing. See, guerrilla warfare prayer is what birthed justice and reformation then. It's what's going to birth it again. It's wild because King Nebuchadnezzar even declared this over Daniel, Daniel 3, 28. He said, they violated, this is the king. I love, I love the book of Daniel. The king is saying this, an evil king. He's saying about Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God other than their own. They were known for their intimacy with their God. They were known for their prayer life. And not only were they known for it, but they were honored for it. See, Daniel's faithfulness to God and his fear that only stayed in the Lord came from a prayer life, which is what he became honored by an evil king and an evil nation. See, so many of us have turned our back on America and said it's too late. But I believe no man is too evil or gone for our God. Can you imagine if we begin to pray for our administration? Can you imagine if we get, begin to pray for our current president and vice president? No matter what our opinions are, they have done evil things. But can you imagine if we begin to pray and they get radically saved? Do you realize in a moment how America would change? Because they would either, either say, remove me or everybody's fired and bring everybody in that's righteous or believers of God. That's what would happen. Church, can we begin to pray for our administration? Can we begin to pray for our government leaders can we begin to pray that they're going to be awakened with dreams and visions? Can we just begin to pray that they're convicted over evil laws that are being written and being done and what they stand? Can we just begin to pray that they would be awakened so that America would be led by righteousness? So this is my challenge for you this morning. My challenge for you this morning is that you would pray three times every day for these three things. America to turn back to God. You can include our administration in that. To the body of Christ to operate in the authority Jesus paid for on the cross. And three, the family unit not to be divided nor destroyed. The attack we're seeing in America right now is completely bullseyed on the family unit. It is on purpose because there's unity. Even God is a trinity. There is a family. There's a father, a son, and a spirit. The attack is on family. It's on marriage. It's on our children. It is on the family unit. But I believe if we would begin this summer to pray in the morning, to pray in the afternoon, and to pray at the evening, it doesn't, you, you don't need to have five hours of prayer time a day. 
Five to 10 minutes in the, in the morning, five to 10 minutes in the afternoon, five to 10 minutes in the evening. It could be with your children. It could be in your car. It could be at a lunch break. It can be on vacation. I love it. If you're all over the place this summer, bring the name of Yahweh wherever you are at. But I am asking this church, would you pray three times a day? Can I just see your hands this, this morning? If you're saying, I will this summer pray morning, noon, and night. Come on, yes. Watch the fruit that comes. And I'm gonna tell you this is gonna be awesome because when you begin to do it, and just even if it's reading, even if it's reading that list, I saw some of you taking pictures. It's also in notes so you can screen, screen um, shot, thank you. Uh, but even if you are just reading those numbers off, I just wanna make sure I fully expose the enemy today. It's not religious for you to say, Okay, I'm driving on my way to work and I'm gonna read one, I'm gonna read two and I'm gonna bring three and I'm bringing it up to you, Lord. These are the three things I'm asking you, Lord, every single day. Sometimes you're gonna have more time than others to pray, but I just wanted to speak to that spirit of religion that tries to come and bind you up that your prayer life isn't powerful because you don't have a super long five-hour prayer time with the Lord. Just pray, church. Just pray wherever you're at. Just pray like my son. Wherever you're at, walking, talk to him and ask him these three things, amen? So how to pray three times a day. The ways that you can do this can be different. It can be through your daily encounters. You can pray in your home with your family before a bedtime, vacation, I already went through that, at your job, wherever, take five to 10 minutes to pray, morning, noon, and night. Third, last Wednesday of every month is prayer night right here. In fact, it's this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Try to be here whenever you can when the doors are open for prayer and join corporate prayer so that, prayer so that you're encouraged uh, by hundreds of others that are praying also, amen? So this Wednesday night, and then the last Wednesday of every month is prayer night in this room. Fourth, we have worship room, which is a worship and prayer. It's every Tuesday and Wednesday, and this is, this is perfect. It's like they knew it was coming. In the morning hour and in the evening hour, 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. So if you just wanna come and you have time off and you wanna just come be in worship and have some prayer moments here, we invite you to be a part of worship room. And then I heard this. The first weekend of June, we were praying, it was our elders retreat and we invited all the pastors uh, to come and pray with us. And I heard the Lord say, pray at the altars of Baal. And up in my spirit, as I'm like praying, show us the altars of Baal around our cities. I have a vision of our pastors leading us uh, to altars of Baal and not just our pastors, but groups. Groups going out and finding the altars of Baal <clears throat> in your neighborhoods, in cities, all over the place. And so I felt that this was strategic. This was part of guerrilla warfare, is knowing what land has the enemy claimed as his own, and we're coming uninvited on purpose. Did you hear what I said? We're coming uninvited on purpose. Let me give you an example. We lived in Austin for years before we moved out of Fort Worth. And you guys know I've worked in the anti-human trafficking realm for years, and one of the first 
evangelisms that we started doing was a friend of mine that had an organization. The Lord spoke to her and said, what do you have in your hands? She was like, "Uh, I'm a nail tech. That's all I do. And so the Lord said, okay, well, go get a trailer. And so she went and got an Airstream trailer, uh, trailer, her and her husband renovate the trailer. And she says, I have a moving nail bar, Heather. Uh, Let's go to strip clubs and serve the girls. Well, what was really cool is that we had already been praying and just walking strip clubs prior to that. We would just go on random evenings and we would pray and we would walk the property and we would pray for those girls to be saved in the strip clubs uh, to be shut down and for the men also and their men and women running them to be saved. Then this idea comes up. So we roll in our first night with the Airstream trailer ready to uh, receive these girls and do their nails even though I'm really bad at nails. She's trying to give me uh, some advice on the way there, file like this and get them off and then I'll take care of all the other stuff. And I'm like, okay. And so we're, we're driving up there and uh, all of a sudden, you know, she calls uh, the manager and says, okay, the girls can come out, we'll do their nails. And he said, you know what? Why don't you girls just come inside? And why don't you just do their nails inside? So we had a security guard that was there in a car and we texted him, we're going inside. And he's like, what? Why are you going inside? And he's like, okay, I'm gonna be texting you every five minutes. We're like, it's gonna be awesome. And so we go inside and we start doing these girls' nails I'm filing you know but I'm having lots of conversation and one of the girls the lead girls begins to tell me um, in a very unkind way because it's all that she knew about these eight girls that were being trafficked they were being trafficked she gave me all the information where they were being trafficked from and the islands and they don't speak English and their pimps bring them by and drop them off they don't get any of their money and Here's the truth is we had seen them being taken off the property all the times that we had been praying there in trucks leaving the property anyway. And so this is wild. This is what a prayer life will do. So I told you we had been praying there. The night before our outreach, this moment of evangelism that we do, I have a dream. And in my dream, I call the police after our our outreach moment and I called Travis County, which is Austin. And the Austin police come and they come and kind of knock on the door and they go like this around it in my dream and then they leave. And I'm outraged in the dream. I knew that they turned their other cheek. They weren't there to help them. They were a part of the problem. Next scene in my dream, I'm in Austin Police Department. I'm flipping tables and I'm going off and how could you turn your cheek? You guys are laughing right now because you guys could probably see like, yeah, if you do something. I was like, Lord, let me, let me not be arrested. Okay, so, but then the dream... In the next moment, I have this word of knowledge that comes in the dream. And all of a sudden, I know, but I don't really know in real life. It just comes in the dream. Go to Williamson County. When I woke up from the dream, I lived in Williamson County. And there was a massive difference between Travis County and Williamson County. There were no strip clubs in Williamson County. And so later, I found out Travis County has never prosecuted one case of human trafficking in its history. Williamson County was different. It was illegal to have a strip club, but they were in neighboring counties. And so we go, we do this outreach, we find out about these eight girls uh, that are being trafficked. Well, the next day, uh, for months on my calendar, I had had a meeting with another founder from another anti-human trafficking organization. Well, I got there early and her other meeting is going late. Guess who her other meeting going late with was? 
the director of the anti-human trafficking unit of Williamson County. Wild. She tried to introduce herself to me. I said, I'm sorry, we have to cut to the chase. I have to tell you about last night. She immediately said, we will start an undercover operation. Immediately, we will make sure that these girls are rescued and that this club is shut down. Come on, this is why I'm encouraging you right now. A prayer life, a guerrilla warfare prayer life changes everything. I couldn't have made that happen. I couldn't have written that story better myself. It was strategy from heaven through a guerrilla warfare prayer life. I know there's many things in your life you are facing right now that's like how in the world or there's things in this church you're excited about but you're like how in the world are they going to do it? First of all, we aren't going to do it. We are going to do it and he is going to use us or he is going to give us his power, his authority and his strategy through prayer to do it this morning. Hmm. Where are the altars of Baal in the cities around us? Could be the courthouse. Could be rich neighborhoods. Could be planet parenthood facilities. Could be education board meeting schools and colleges. Could be statues, events, parades that aren't godly that God's sending you into. Could be our capital. Exciting news is we're going to be uh, renting charter buses and taking trips every single month starting next month to our Austin capital that anybody that wants to go that can fit on those charter buses can go with us to the capital and begin to pray for our state and nation. We're not playing in church. It's a time and the hour for the prayer warriors to arise. We cannot be a church of warriors. We cannot be a church of warriors without being prayer warriors and getting strategy from heaven. Victory comes through strategy from God. That comes through an intimate relationship with him. We pray and ask. I believe that when God begins to send you and teams, I don't know if you've heard of 33rd Company, it's a ministry out of this house. They go every single week. But even if it's with a friend, I want to let you know you're being sent. What does that mean? When Jesus sent the disciples out, or the 72, the Bible says he sent them out with his authority and his power because they were covered. If you are a member of this house, it means that you have covering. I encourage you, like Pastor Kaylee said from the beginning, if you've been coming and haven't gone through MC Connect yet, go through it. It's better for you. It serves you more than it does us because it allows a covering and not just a covering, but when you're covered, it allows the authority and the power and the anointing that rest on this house to be upon you and your family. 
to be upon you so that when you're sent out, you don't have to worry about being the sheep among the wolves. Isn't it wild that the Bible says that there was a joyful return? I'm going to get to it in just a second. They weren't afraid. Jesus was warning them, saying, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. But they didn't have to be intimidated. Why? Because the Bible says that Jesus sent them out with his authority and his power to cast demons out, to heal the sick, and to boldly preach the gospel. So I tell you this morning, as you're beginning this new level of a prayer life, if you meet people out and about when you're going to these places, pray for them boldly. Step out, pray for them boldly. You are being sent from this house. You are being commissioned from this house with the authority of this house. For Psalms 92, 13 through 15 says, planted in the house of the Lord. And what? You will flourish. Yes. Luke 9, 1 through 2 is the example that says, Jesus called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and all the power to cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. We must be a people of prayer, Mercy Culture Church. We must be a people of prayer. End, the, end with this in our opening scripture. <laughs> it was Jesus who appointed the 72 and he sent them out two by two. And I love this portion of scripture so much. I just began to minister on it. He said, I'm sending you out, sheep among wolves. It's titled this in verse 17, the joyful return. <laughs> See, you don't have to be ruled with fear and intimidation anymore. And I know we're getting to the end of the service, but I just felt like I had to pause and I couldn't just go, many of you have been ruled with fear and intimidation. And then the moment that you go and you've got free on a Sunday morning and you're amped up and you're excited, and then you go to step out. And that first step you take, an onslaught of slander, lies from family, social media. I don't know what it is, but it's intimidation and fear that makes you wanna go like that. Oh, but he lives in you. And lies are lies. It's not truth. Can I now encourage you with what the 72 returned? That even though they were being sent out among wolves, the Bible says that there was a joyful return. And the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. There are some demons that are waiting to submit to the name of Jesus through you. There's some people out there that are hurting, broken, addicted, thinking they were born that way or they need to change the way they were born. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for the power and the authority and the presence of God that is on the inside of you to come and love them, to come and tell those things, to go and show them what freedom tastes like. 
Do you know that he did not just set you free for you to be the only free one walking around? He set you free to go set those free around you. And Jesus said this in verse 18. You know that the Bible in Isaiah calls Jesus the man of sorrows because of what he had to do for us. But I can so feel the joy of Jesus in this statement. Because he sent them out, a shepherd, like, okay, I've done everything I can do to teach you. I'm sending you with my power and authority, but you gotta believe it. And it says when they return, can you imagine like your kids coming with joy all over their face? And they come and they return and they're excited and they're testifying of all the healings and all the moments that demons were cast out and people were raised from the dead and they're so excited and they're running back to their shepherd testifying of the goodness and then giving him all of the glory that he deserves. And Jesus says enjoy. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing, nothing, Mercy Culture Church, nothing will harm you. scripture over you that Jesus has given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and I declare God you have given your sons and daughters the power all power over the enemy I prophesy over them nothing will harm them oh but Lord I pray for joyful returns Joyful returns like Erica's. Ha! Set free from drug addiction and mental illness. People set free like Sean from suicide. People like me set free. Oh God, would you send in those that are stuck in the homosexual lifestyle? Send them to us. Send them to us, oh God. Send them to us and let them be set free. Jesus was doing right before he sent out his disciples in guerrilla warfare, two by two and the 72 in two by two. You wanna know where he got the strategy? The Bible says in chapter six, right before it, that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. It says that he spent the night in prayer and what I felt like we were supposed to do this morning is begin to operate in this next level of guerrilla warfare 